It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome to the Roka Report recap show. It's Gav here and for once Connor's on the other side of the table. How are we doing Connor? I am well, yes, nice to be Yes, here. good, good, and also joined by Sam Blakey, who's sporting a lovely white pair of headphones, white t-shirt, behind a white wardrobe, everything's white in Sam's house. How are you? I'm good, uh, yeah, football aside, I'm very well. Well, yeah, we'll get straight on to that, I think. Sunderland's miserable performance yesterday against MK Dons left little to be desired, really. It was a, a poor, poor performance. I, I've seen a lot of people refer to it probably is the worst performance of the season. I know, Connor, you've got a bit of stick for saying it was the Mansfield game is probably the worst result we've ever had, but this this could potentially have topped it. Um I mean, how did you feel at full time, Connor, really, when you when you when you sat and had watched that ninety minutes of football and had seen us waste so many chances and really struggle to break down a team who alright, I know the data shows they're probably better than the league position suggests, but this is MK Don's coming to the stadium of light. If you want to finish top two, you shouldn't be struggling, really, should you? No, I think yesterday was the the first realisation I had that Sunderland are not going to be automatic promotion contenders. I think we have to accept that we are probably in the region of 4th to 10th in this division. Uh, I don't see Sunderland competing with Hull, Ipswich, Peterborough, Portsmouth. I don't think we are as mm. good as them. Yeah. Certainly with this manager and with the way that the clubs run at the minute I know we're going to talk a lot about you know takeover talk soon but I think yesterday was again just a, a symbol of where we are as a football club we've now became a league one football club we now are a lower league club we've got a lower league manager we've got players that you know just seem to have I don't even know how you describe it they're obviously historically they've had good seasons the players that you know should be able to play at this level quite well but I feel like they've been structurally destroyed uh, by Sunderland Football Club and I think mm. you've now got to look at not just the manager you have to look at the 11 players on the pitch there wasn't anyone really uh, yesterday who covered themselves in glory um, I, I just struggled to see where we go from this if something doesn't change and obviously the manager changing that would be the big one but to be honest, it stretches far bigger than him. It stretches from ownership. It stretches from the behind the scenes. It stretches from the fact we've still got directors in a position of power who's been there for 15 years, who've oversaw the club 
you know, fallen into this position. It, it It's all them things together that has created this miserable situation whereby Sunderland do not look like a team that could get out of this division this year, next year or the season after, unless something drastically changes. Just to touch on something else you said there about not being a top two team. Don't know if anybody's ever done this, but if you go to the statcat.co.uk, it tracks Sunderland's position at the end of every game week. And we've never been in the top two while Phil Parkinson's been manager. That's really important. Yesterday we could have if we'd won. Yesterday we would have went second, I believe. Um, which is bizarre in my mind because we just haven't played well for ages yet. We're still so close. And it's there was times under Jack Ross actually in that first season where even when we'd go on bad runs of games, we still struggled to like to 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 really break into the top two. Yet we were never that far away from it. And there's a similar thing going on right now with Sunderland. It's like another stat that I saw earlier was that we've never beat we've never beat a team um with eleven men in eight games, which was the crew game. Last time we beat somebody with eleven men. I mean, what does that say really, Sam, about about where we're at right now as a team? And Connor and just just to add something else there, Connor mentioned about the players. Honestly, I'm gonna die on this hill. I don't believe these players are as bad as the show at times. There's no way Will Griggs should be missing from 12 yards out. No, no, no no chance at all. I mean, I think the stat about not winning against 11 men in eight games just epitomises our style. You know, it, It's bad that you call it style now. Um, I think it's just become obvious that Parkinson has just went, I need to get out of this division, we need to get out of this division, we're just going to play football that works, it's not great to watch. And I mean, the start of the season, you, you were sort of like, the first four games, you're like, God, this isn't great to watch, but we're up there, so you're all right. But we've, we've all said the, the results, uh, the performances recently, we've all said the luck will run out. You're not going to get a red card and a penalty in the last 10 minutes of every game. And I just think yesterday was just like the final nail in the coffin for me. I've been partnering out for a while, but it was just awful. It was it was actually sad to watch. like Because mm. he's sort of contradicting himself because the one thing you can say about Partinson is he has his favourite eleven, and he won't chop and change it. But then yesterday, it was like it, it was bizarre. He was playing players out of position, and um, Gooch was on the club podcast, and he was being asked where he yeah, likes to play, yeah. and he was saying he likes to play as far forward as he can. And this basically season, front, I think didn't Gooch, he? I think he said he basically likes to play up front. Yeah. Yeah, and well, he he talked about last season, and his best. His best time in Sunderland shirt was last season when him and Maguire were playing right next to White. He scored 10 mm. goals. And if you look this season, he's played right wing back, left wing back, centre mid, deeper. He's played up front once and it's just, it must do your head in as a player. And I mean, you look at Luke O'Neill yesterday playing left centre back where the last game he had there was probably his worst game in the Sunderland shirt. And it's, yeah. it's just, it's bizarre to watch. So I, I think part, I don't think he's lost the plot. I don't think it was like him um, losing his mind, but it just shows how he can't he can't change as, as a manager. He, he can't. He, he's stuck between wanting to pick the same players, but also wanting to pick the same system. So it just it counteracts each other, and it just doesn't work. And yesterday was just it was awful, wasn't it? it was it was terrible. You've made a good point there about going nine playing left centre half. Connor, what what did you make of that when you saw it? Because when I saw Sanderson on the bench, I thought, well, is he injured or something? Like, what is this about? I know Luke 9 and I, I'm not. I'm not saying 9 played badly there yesterday. It's the Parkinson thing. It's like, what is the logic behind that decision? Why are you playing so many players out of position? It does. It doesn't make any sense. And to me, it's consistently shoehorning players into a system is not good management. Good management is going. Hmm, my defense isn't what I want it to be today, so I'm going to change the four at the back because that makes more sense. 
it doesn't make any sense to put Lugo Nine at left centre back to then put Lyndon Gooch at right wing back when you could have put Sanderson in, you could have put Lugo Nine in his right position, whether or not you think that's his right position, but that's the position we've been giving him. And then you can put Lyndon Gooch either in the team or on the bench. It it didn't feel like it made sense. And I think on mm. Tuesday we saw players play quite well and only Jack Diamond made on the bench. I know I spoke to somebody at the club who said Embleton wasn't a hundred percent, which is why he wasn't involved, but surely you know, he could have been on the bench. I don't think he was just ready to play from the start. Dan Neal, again, will bang this drum consistently. He plays well midweek and he, and he isn't given a, a sniff. Mm. It just seems to me like Parkinson's stuck in, number one, valuing experience, whatever that is, but valuing people who've played lots of games for him, who've done so well that we are sitting currently in, what, sixth in League One and lost two straight games against... Uh, Mansfield and MK Dons and we lost against Fleetwood midweek as well it just feels like it's a manager who doesn't have a clue he's completely lost me he's lost any semblance of credibility to me as a manager he, he seems like somebody maybe he knows that his days are numbered mm-hmm. and he, he doesn't have the heart to continue but I, I li- I'm almost lost for words watching the way we were set up yesterday watching the substitutions I mean we're getting beat against MK Dons at home he doesn't change it until the 67th minute well, what's he watching? Because I'm watching that, and as soon as we go 2-1 down, I'm going, all right, okay, maybe we should maybe give it five more minutes and make the change. He waits until 67 minutes. It's not rocket science. But then the change actually worked. So bringing Maguire on, Maguire was a positive influence on the game. I thought he played well when he came on. Hmm. Maybe we would have scored if he'd been on on 60 minutes. And it, yeah. it's just decisions like that that, that infuriate you as a fan because you know I'm no football manager, but even I can tell. And every single Sunderland fan watching can tell that that was a nonsensical decision to wait until the 67th minute when you get to be 2-1 at home against MK Dons. Mm. And also, Max Power, when he, you know, I won't, I won't hammer him too much for the penalty because I think it was more mistake than um, terrible play. You know, I think he just gets beaten to the ball. But clearly from that point, his confidence was shot, which is why Parkinson brought him off on 67 minutes, but bring him yeah. off earlier. What was the point of leaving him on for that extra 20 minutes? Yeah. And it's decisions like that that just make it hard to to watch and figure out exactly what Phil Parkinson's trying to do. Speaking of infuriating decisions, when we when we done the player ratings podcast after the Fleetwood game, I think we all pretty much agreed that Willis was carrying a knock and had played too long. So he starts him, <laughs> starts him uh, in the MK Dons game, and he looked knackered from the first minute to me. I'm watching it and I'm going, he's not right. He's not, he just, it's not, you can tell when a player's playing with a knock and it's affecting them badly. And I don't know what, what's wrong with Willis, but he was clearly affected by whatever was going on. And again, Sanderson sat on the bench, fit, probably thinking, I can play that position while you're playing him. It, it boils down to, and you're right what you said, it boils down to this thing, what he's got. He is obsessed with, with experience. He would much sooner play somebody half fit because they're not a kid than he would give Sanderson a proper run in the team. I'm, I'm, I, we're at that point now with Parkinson where, and this you get to this point where then whenever a manager, you can, whenever you know a manager is near in the end, we're at that point with Parkinson where you just start looking at his decisions and going, you've totally lost the plot now. Like, um, everything, everything there. he does, everything he does is is just infuriating us at the minute. No, it's, it's, I think what you said there about the Sanderson thing, it just, I think Parkinson's man management is some of the worst things I've ever seen. So we've brought in this young lad Sanderson who. He's a young lad coming into a new squad. He needs confidence. He needs this and that. He sat on the bench yesterday looking at Luke 9 who's barely even a defender playing in his position. And then also Willis, who looked about <laughs> 70% fit playing in his position. So yeah. his confidence is then shot from the off. 
And I mean, obviously, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but listening to parts and press conference and what have you, he doesn't strike me that someone who's going to put his arm around someone and instill confidence in him. I just think his, his whole management of use has just been shocking. It's like it's like he's, he's playing a joke on them. It's bizarre. <laughs> Another good example of this is when you look at Semenyo at Bristol City, absolutely killing it in the championship. He did not give yeah. that kid a sniff, did he? No. And um, no. <laughs> it's like we only signed Sanderson because we were desperate. We had injuries and we needed a defender to come in and they looked at three or four options and he was the one who came out on top and they signed him. I doubt Phil Partinson had a clue who he was and that's the way he treats him. I don't know I don't know him. I don't know enough about him. He hasn't gained my trust as a player, so I'm not going to play him. And that's why Lyndon Gooch plays out of position every week, badly, because he trusts Gooch because Gooch runs a lot. Gooch yeah. works hard. doesn't matter if he's not playing very well. He runs a lot. Charlie Wyke. When you when you hear Parkinson talk about Charlie White, he talks up his work rate, his work off the ball. Charlie runs for us, Charlie runs, Charlie puts pressure on the defenders. At the end of the day, a striker's job is to put the ball in the back of the net. And to be fair to Charlie White, he's done that fairly often recently and he's he's shut a few of his critics up, me included, on that. But it's the it's the constant need to favour experience and hard work over sometimes just a young player who could probably do a lot better than, than some of the lads he places more faith in. So you're right what you said about the midweek game, Connor. Jack Diamond, for me, played really well on Tuesday. Um, I was impressed by Embleton, but they reckon, like you say, he wasn't quite fit enough to play. But do you honestly think he would have played him if he'd been fit? Because I don't. No, 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 he'd have been looking to get on the bench. And I think Diamond's only getting on the bench because, I don't know, Diamond just seems to hang around the team, doesn't but even again there's another lad getting played out of position. When's Jack Diamond ever played full back or wing back, really? He's a winger. Yeah. Out and out, you can tell when he gets the ball the way he drives at teams. He's an out and out attacking midfielder slash winger who loves to get on the ball and take people on. He's not a he's not a, a wing back. But you're right, the system the system dictates the players, doesn't it? He he will not shift from this system. So no, you either have to fit in or you don't play. Basically. But I think what we're, what we're saying is is essentially back to the original point. The damning statement is is Parkinson is a lower league dinosaur manager. You know that's exactly what he is. He's a manager that you know he could maybe take up a, a smaller league one club with limited resources, um, who fight against it, who full of experience. He might be able to do that, but he's not a manager of Sunderland, not at this level. No, you know we've got a no. top quality academy with all these young players, and he won't play them on the premise that they're young. That must be it. You well, know, kind of everybody no knew everybody knew this when he was appointed. See, with me, with my managers, players, whatever, I always like to give them the benefit of the doubt to prove themselves, which I did with Parkinson. But you would have struggled to find any Sunderland fan who wanted him as manager at the time. Nobody looked at him and went, that's the man for the job. And then when he came in, the came in when he came in, we were told, well, Phil Parkinson's coming in because we we need to get promoted. He's coming to he's coming to give us promotion. We didn't get promoted. But he got the benefit of the doubt because of the way things worked out with the points per game system that the EFL used. And he got another crack at it this year. And nothing, nothing about this team, the way we're playing, about his football, the way he's able to change games, just nothing about this suggests to me that we're going to get a top two finish. And if Sunderland, Sunderland cannot finish, we cannot have a fourth year in League One. This this isn't good enough. We need to have more of a swagger about us. We need We need somebody at the top of the tree in charge of these players who doesn't think that getting beat to Mansfield isn't a big deal. Drawn against Rochdale is a good point. Like when you listen to him talk after games, he actually doesn't see the problem. 
He's not. You like to say he's not right. He's not. He's not. He's not the right man for the job. Well, his interview yesterday was deluded because he, he basically said we played all right apart from the fact we couldn't finish. But well, I, I couldn't bring back. myself to listen to it because I'm just. <laughs> he just. Like it, it reminds us of when David Moyes was here. Do you remember when Moyes used yeah. to do an interview and you just went, "Ugh, get him yeah. off my telly." It's the same with Parkinson. The other question is: is you were talking there about Parkinson was brought in to get us promoted? Well, we were told he was. We were told he was. Yeah. Since he took over from Jack Ross, the squad. Hasn't really had any losses. I don't think we've lost any big players in that time. The squad of no, anything's really. got stronger because he's been able to add players to it, and we look much worse off. You know, I, I, I wasn't exactly Jack Ross's biggest fan. I don't think we would have necessarily went up with him. But I think if he was still here right now, we'd be in a far better position um, going forward. And I think that's ultimately how Phil Parkinson needs to be judged. He needs to be judged on the fact that he's been here over a year, and we are worse, despite the fact that the squad is actually slightly better in all honesty I, w- I would agree there I, th- I think I think you've got to give them credit on a number of things one of them being we'll look a lot fitter we are yeah I thought I thought one of the big problems under Jack Ross was that, that we didn't look fit the other thing to a point was that we looked defensively better but then but then this last run of game shows that we've went back over defensively like the defending yesterday for for their first goal was crap I thought and then we haven't really talked much about the game. We've just spent mostly talking about Partington. But that first, go- that first goal, we wouldn't have conceded that goal two or three games into the season. Something's changed, definitely. And I don't know whether it's the fact that we're struggling to hold a, a back five together. Like obviously the the keeper changed yesterday. O nines playing between two different positions. These these are things that happen when a manager is struggling. He starts tinkering, but. Normally, it's tinkering with the system. It's not tinkering with where the players stand and on the pitch. <laughs> like, oh nine's played right wing back, then he's played right left centre half, then he's back to right wing back. Why not just let him play one position? We must be the easiest team to... That week must be the easiest to get ready for our game. You just have a whiteboard up and you say, this is the system to play. doesn't matter who's in what position, they're going to play that system, though maybe the 85th minute, when he might bring on someone with a bit more pace. It's like, I saw the team yesterday, and... One of the first comments on Twitter was like, is that a back four? And without even looking at the team properly, it was just no. I think he could play <laughs> 11 strikers and would still play a back five. It's it's I... just, it's just insane. And you look at his bench, and straight away I look at the bench and I think, if we're not winning this game, we can't change it because you've got like for like. What's the point in bringing on? I didn't necessarily disagree with bringing on Graham for Greg because I know Greg had a shot with but players like O'Brien and... Graham on the bench aren't going to do anything. And then you've got someone like Diamond who can do something. You bring him on 85th minute right back. It's just insane. That's what I, it's like. It goes back to what I said before, Sam. These are familiar things that you see when a manager is about to go. Partinson knows his time's running out. And we'll move on to this in a bit, the ownership stuff. But if you're a manager and you know there's an ownership change in the often, and he probably knows more about it than we do, and whatever yeah. the, the plans are, right? He knows he's gone. He wasn't brought in to work under a new one. He was brought in to work under a certain set of circumstances. And and, the, and his primary aim was to get promoted. We aren't on target for promotion, playing the way we are. I defy anybody who, who believes we are. You look at... you. I think on social media yesterday, there was a couple of um sort of like Twitter, AFL expert type people who generally just form their opinions around data rather than watching actual games of football. And they were saying, well, on paper, Sunderland's data is fantastic. Why are they complaining? Maybe, and, and, and he got barraged by Sun fans. He said, watch us. We've watched this team all season. We know we're not heading for promotion. Any football fan knows exactly what we mean when we say that. Because you know you know yourself when you're watching your team whether, whether things are going right or not. This is not a team 
on course to get promoted. No, it's funny you say that because um, the stream we were watching yesterday was BN Sport and it wasn't um, Danny Collins and Frankie, it was a new commentator who I've heard before. Come on, are you, are you admitting that you're a parasite, Sam? No, no, we, we pay. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, the commentator was like, you could tell sort of on about 60 minutes, he just started becoming confused and he was like, something really haven't done anything here. But he wasn't like commentating, <laughs> he was more he? like, he was more like, hang on, is this Sunderland? And you can tell it's like, he might have looked at the table beforehand and thought, oh, Sunderland are up there. But if, like yeah. you say, if you watch a game, you can't tell that where the Sunderland side, it's, it's, it's just so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. So on the manager then, I think gathered by our comments just there, we're all pretty much on the same page. Like he's got to go. But I, I wrote about this a couple of days ago and then I thought, actually, I'm not going to post it before a game because I understand what sort of impression it can give. And then after the game yesterday, I was like, "This, I just want to put this out there because everybody's talking about sacking him. So I put a piece out on the site about what I believe and what people who, who I spoke to on Twitter told us they want from the Sunderland manager. And I try to group as many of those opinions together and give a, a set of objectives that you would want the next Sunderland manager to work to. And I mean, we might get onto the names that we want to come in, but... I guess I ask you this, Connor. What sort of manager do you think Sunderland need? Is it so? It's. I'm gonna guess it's not someone like Phil Parkinson. <laughs> no, I think Sunderland need uh, probably a manager who's a little younger. Maybe somebody who isn't quite as weathered and believes that their you know previous experiences of getting promoted and fifteen years of management is the way to go. You need somebody who's willing to change their approach. Uh, that would be the main criteria, but also somebody who's going to. F- fit into the ethos of the club. You know, Sunderland is a club that spends a lot of its resources on its academy. Yeah. It's still spent a lot of money last season to maintain category one. It has produced young players that are playing in the EFL right now. It's producing players who should be in the Sunderland squad right now. A new manager needs to be brought in who gives them players a chance. Um, Ultimately, Sunderland, and this might sound a little bit controversial, but Sunderland needs to become a selling club. It needs to be a club that creates a conveyor belt of players, whether they're bought or through the academy, they need to be players or that we buy cheap and we sell on for a big profit. If you think about, for example, Brentford seem to do this quite well, that buy in players cheap, they produce their own players. In fact, more often than not, it's recruitment for them. They recruit their own players yeah. and they sell them on for big money. And I think Sunderland need to try and follow that uh, pathway because that's how, for me, as a football club, you should operate now, especially Sunderland are almost in, a, in some ways a good position because whoever did take over, whether it's a new takeover, but even as a manager, if they can put their, you know, this is where you put your ethos, this is where you put your philosophy, you're starting from ground zero, you're in mm-hmm. League One, in theory, it shouldn't be, you know, this will be the easiest promotion. Ultimately, something need to be back in the Premier League, and whoever comes in needs to have that as their target. You know, they got to think that in five years' time, they're managing a Premier League team. And if they're not thinking that, then they're probably not the right man for the job. I think, number one, that was where Parkinson went wrong. He was never a manager to take Sunderland beyond that initial promotion, which we didn't actually get. This new manager, whoever it is, or whoever it will, hopefully soon, whoever it will be, they need to be a manager for the future. They need to be ingrained into every single aspect of the football club, certainly on the playing side. They need to be involved in the academy. They need to be involved in the ethos. There needs to be a clear philosophy of what we're doing in terms of recruitment, in terms of what we bring in as academy players. And when you think about it, Sunderland... Is an academy, you know, how many centre-backs have come through at Sunderland Academy? Mm. John Egan's the only one I can think of that's particularly made a name for himself and he didn't do it at Sunderland. So clearly there's fundamental issues in the academy as well and the fact that we've done well producing 
goalkeepers and wingers generally as a rule of thumb sort of attacking players we haven't really done well defensively and I think there's things that need to be changed throughout the club and the new manager needs to be central to that Parkinson mm. was brought in and he has not been central to that he is literally only interested in Saturday Tuesday the first team yeah. games I don't think he's particularly interested in much else and his whole aim was only to get something out of this league and that is so short-sighted and it comes from an ownership which was short-sighted you know Stuart Donald and Charlie, Charlie Methvin their only ambition for Sunderland was to get them out of that league and into the championship so they could sell it. That was it. Yeah. Now, hopefully with new owners coming in, the ethos, the ideas need to be thinking far grander than that and it needs to be actually putting in a structure which can set Sunderland up for the next 10, 15 years. No, I totally agree with that. And the point you made, right, about the club basically finding its place in the food chain is totally right. We've never done that. When we were in the Premier League, we just spent our way out of trouble because we need we needed to stay in the Premier League. When we got into the Championship, we had no idea how to how to consolidate because we had never planned for an, for a relegation. So we had not we had no structure in place to deal with playing in the Championship. And then when we dropped into League One, to be fair to these owners, that first year was a lot about getting the club back into a position where it could develop. I'd argue now we're in that position. We're now in a position where if a sale happens, we start really working on the corporate structure of the club and the footballing structure. And I keep saying this because it's true, but I've said it for ages. That's what we need. Somebody in charge of the football inside on a corporate level. We need people below them and we need investment into that structure. We need we need academy leads. We need technical leads. We need a proper data and analytics department. We need proper scouting. Not just Tony Court and any couple of his mates. We need we need investment into the structure of the club, mainly because that academy is is and I say this often as well. It's the jewel in the crown. How many clubs can boast a category one academy with the facilities we've got? So for me, if you're starting again in the third tier, that should be the center of everything. That that should be everything because Sunderland's academy, it it, it gives us an unfair advantage actually over a lot of clubs. But you have to get everything around that right to make the academy work to then produce the players for the first team. Go on, Connor. So you're down to butt in. <laughs> I know. Well, to be honest, it was more. It wasn't so much about the academy. You were talking about the, sort of the off pitch structure, and I think one of the things that I noticed from being in there off the pitch, anyway. Did you work was, for the club, like? I know I did. I did. There's a rumor yeah. has out there that I did. <laughs> but one of the things I noticed was the fact that there was an expectation that you know we're Sunderland, so we don't have to necessarily work to get the fans in. The fans will turn up because Sunderland has that amount of fans. There wasn't. I don't think there is much of a concerted effort off the pitch to drive uh, supporters into the ground to, to create things that supporters can sort of get around. And they've never really done that. And I think when Stuart and Charlie came in, that was one of the things they you know heavily promoted was the idea that they were going to try and get the fans all on side. And to be honest, if you actually listen back to that first podcast we did with Stuart and Charlie, a lot of their ideas are sound. You know, the Dortmund model is essentially what we've been talking about, is that kind of structure focusing on the academy. All of them things were logical, made sense. And if you listen back to it now, you would say that's what Sunderland need. If we were to get new owners in, they, you know, they could do worse than try and implement a lot of the things that were said there. And the problem with Stuart and Charlie is, is, you know, that they had a one season plan and it, and it didn't work. Though, uh, I mean, this is kind of a different point altogether, but I would say that Stuart and Charlie did give Jack Ross all the opportunity in the world to get promoted that first season. I think they did spend money, they did invest in the right areas and let them build the squad he wanted. So 
maybe it's me being a, it's a bit revisionist history to look back at it like that but I think they were unlucky that first season that we didn't go up and then since then it's been an absolute calamity you know I don't mm. think they would deny that you know it's been a calamity from that point but I just kind of want to sort of set the fact that I think off the pitch nothing to do with football I think is probably as much of a calamity as the on the pitch side as well mm. Sam what about you then what sort of manager do you think we need bearing in mind what we said about structure and and all the rest of it it's not about like <sighs> Parkinson very much feels like a uh, an appointment of old would you yeah. agree that we need to sort of pull the club into the 21st century a bit on that front yeah I think Connor hit the nail on the head it's about the big picture and that might sound a bit contradictory because we're, we're still not really close to getting out of this league and I know that is the number one aim but you've got to try and look beyond that and I, I said this on the podcast when Jack Ross was sacked and we didn't know who we were getting in I think what we need is we need a vision, we need a plan, we need to, whoever will get in, he needs to, the owners, whoever they are at the time, needs to back him 100%. And I think we need a statement along with that. I think we need a statement from the owners saying, look, we know how uh, Sunderland's been run in the past with managers chopping and changing. This is our man, we're backing him. If things go wrong, we're, we're backing him. Do you know what I mean? And I think the way you do that for the fans is you get someone in who the fans know who the fans like, who the fans are going to be emotional towards. I'm not necessarily just seeing Kevin Phillips because I'm not daft, but someone who is going to excite fans as well. I mean, if it, like you look at the Parkinson situation, like you said, when he came in, people were already a bit negative about him. I'm not saying people wanted him out straight away because I didn't want him, but we're not daft, we're going to get behind a manager. But I think when you bring someone in like that who doesn't excite fans, it takes a while to win them around anyway. I just think... We need a younger manager, like Connor said, definitely. Um, but we need someone who's gonna who's who's gonna uh, just get people excited. I mean, literally the opposite of Parkinson, someone who's gonna get the youth involved because there's nothing we love more than a young player coming through the ranks. Mm. And it's just about vision, really. And and I do understand why they appointed Parkinson because I think they were just desperate and thought, look, we need to get out of this division. And from that standpoint, I understand it. But I think now you've got to take a step back and think we need someone who. The fans are going to love someone who we're going to love and someone who buys into the whole philosophy of whatever we're going to do under the new owners. I, I actually think one of the most important things about whoever is the Sunderland manager is that they should have a, a big character, a big, strong character who's very honest, very likeable, like you just said. I mean, think back, right? In my lifetime, anyways, Roy Keane, Sam Allardyce, Mick McCarthy, Peter Reid. There's four, right? All big personalities, big characters, people who... Fans look up to and maybe think, I, 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 they, they, can, they can look at somebody and go, oh, I can get behind him. Do you know what I mean? Again, even for a short while, Di Canio, big personality. He won people over for that short amount of time. Gus Poye for the two years he was here. I mean, dragged us to a cup final, etc. Like People love big characters at Sunderland. And straight away, when you look at Phil Parkinson, interviews with people who've played for Parkinson, they talk about him, they're like, he can't look you in the eye. He's not very honest. He doesn't like confrontation. I, I want my manager to like confrontation. I want him to, to... If someone's wrong, I want him to stand up in a press conference and pick them out for it. I want him to stand up in the dressing room and pick a player out if they're off the mark. Like, that's what this club needs. They might not always get it right. They might say some of the wrong things. But I think if you're going to be successful for longer than six months at Sunderland, you've got to have a pair of balls. Like, And that's just as important as it is getting somebody young and ambitious and all the rest of it is that they've got to have they've got to be able to take the weight of the club on their shoulders because if they can't they'll not last two minutes and like you say that's probably why nobody wanted them in the first place because 
you never look at Phil Parkinson and even even with like this might be a bit of a shit example, but someone like Howard Wilkinson, he was known for being he was known for being like a bit of a they called him the sergeant major, didn't they? Like people knew he would be um forthright, yet it didn't work, right? Okay. But like with Parkinson, nobody must have looked at nobody can tell me they look look Phil Parkinson and think, there's a man who who knows how to discipline a set of players properly and, and motivate them by being harsh, which is like the keen sort of way of doing things. Suddenly need a manager who's going to kick the players up the arse when it's needed. And that's sort of where we're at at the minute, isn't it? We're in that position where we're not... This league is that bad that we're still in the mix, right? And somebody who can come in and 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 sort of galvanise the players would get better results and would get promoted. And I know yeah. we, I, I've been banging on about like long-term fixes as opposed to short-term. But this would be a short and long-term fix. It would get us promoted, and then you would be fairly confident that a manager would then be able to take you forward next year as well. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty sold on that. Do you not think that Sunderland fans would react well to being communicated exactly... I mean, we touched on this before, but what the plan is, if a manager came in and a new ownership came in and they outright said, we are not going to sign players over the age of 25, we are signing players to fit this system, it might take two or three years, but eventually we'll be better for it. I think Sunderland fans would almost respect that. I think they yeah. would give them time to sort of implement that because... Well, when Connor, when has that ever happened in our lifetime as fans? When have no, you ever no. been given a long-term plan at Sunderland? I think people would snap their hand off for it. I think you're right. I think I think there was... I think Stuart and Charlie were probably the closest we had when they came in, but they never obviously they never implemented it. And it was obvious after about nine months that what they said wasn't necessarily true. But I do think Sunderland could, you know... We need that. And even if Sunderland were top of League One right now, and say, in fact, let's just say we did get promoted last season because we beat Gillingham. We didn't concede that goal against Gillingham and we beat Bristol Rovers. And I think that would have left us second on the points per game if we did that. The problems wouldn't have been fixed had we got promoted. The problems would still have been there. We would have just been sat where Charlton are right now, having been relegated. Yeah. Getting promoted under Phil Parkinson is not an answer to Sunderland's problems. It's a short term fix, but it's not a long term, you know. No, we're bomb Sunderland straight would not back, be a better we? club. We're bomb yeah, straight yeah, yeah. Sunderland would become a, essentially a yo-yo team between the Championship and League One if that happened. Unless, of course, you went up and there was big infrastructural changes and the binned off Parkinson straight away. Yeah. But I wouldn't have seen that happening. Sunderland, you know, they can't afford to continue on the path they are on because the path we are on right now is to become Rotherham United. You know, that <laughs> yeah. that's where Sunderland are heading at the minute. And that's no disrespect to Rotherham, but they are a team that flirts between League One and the Championship. This current Sunderland structure irrespective of the fans irrespective of the academy because the academy is pointless if you're not going to blood the players through anyway Sunderland will become that and that that's a new takeover and certainly a change in philosophy bringing in directors that would certainly football and directors that would give Sunderland a chance to become more than the next Rotherham United and I think that's mm. as fans that's what we're battling with at the minute and I think anyone who's on the fence about Parkinson still you know they have to think about well is the way we are going right now, is what you are seeing on the pitch, what you're seeing off the pitch, is that good enough for Sunderland Football Club? And the answer is it's not. How important is playing attractive football, Sam, would you say? I think if you asked this before this season, I would have said, oh, I don't care. I just care about results. And it might be a bit uh, contradictory of myself, but I just think recently watching Sunderland, even when we've won, and I never thought I'd say that, obviously, I, I go into every game and I hope we win. I've always said I hope Parkinson proves me wrong, but... I just can't get up for a game. And I, and I know you've got to take COVID into uh, account and you can't go to the match, you can't do your usual routine. But sometimes I'm sitting watching the match 
And it's not even a case of being on my phone. I just, I zone out and you, you think five minutes have gone I haven't been watching. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we need. And I know if it, got, if it gets us promoted, everyone will be happy. But I think like Connor said, and people won't like this, but getting promoted playing like this under Phil Parkinson wouldn't really solve any problems. It would feel good for the summer, but then we would just come into championship and just get battered, really. And yeah. I, I, I think... I think what we're seeing there just goes back to what I said about the manager. I think whoever the owners are at the time, we need a, a statement and we need like we need to get a sense of them that this is our man. This is this is the guy we've looked at him, we've had talks, he's buying into everything we're doing, we've got a long term plan and fans get behind him. If we if we go through a dip of form, we're still backing him and yeah. that's what we need. We just need to know, we need we need to know everything. Yeah, I think you've touched on something important and it segues us on to the next thing. But when and if let's cross our fingers this ownership change comes when the news is confirmed that this is done these are the new owners this is how it's going to work that they have to be very forthright with that information for me for people to buy into it and especially since it appears that donald is taking yes a reduced stake but he's still going to be involved in in, in an ownership capacity he's going to have 15 percent of the club if the newspaper reports are to be believed methan's retaining his stake I think of five percent. Sartori may or may not be increasing his, depending on. I mean, his name's been involved in the in the media reports. So I'm not sure how how the share divide will be, but we're going to have a new majority shareholder, right? So, um, above all else, it it's going to be a different owner, right? When this is announced, they have to tell us this is how it's working now. These are the people in charge. This is the plan. The plan is for this many years. This is the way, the direction we want to go. This is the way we want the club to look. We want the club to be able to produce players or whatever else that we've touched on, produce players over a consistent basis. You're not just getting one £30 million player every five years like we've had with Pickford and Henderson. You're going to have a production line of players, like Connor said, like Brentford have and other clubs, because everything we're trying to do is to make this club self-sustaining so that in five, ten years' time, when we do get back to the Premier League, we can actually get there and we're in a position to compete rather than come straight back down. To me, that's the most important thing about all of this. When they announce this takeover, if it happens, it has to come with a massive plan and a structure that fans can look at and go and buy into that. So if in a year's time, the new manager, or God forbid, Parkinson's still here, if in a year's time, things perhaps aren't progressing normally, like we're not getting promoted or... I don't know, we do get to the championship, maybe we're, we're struggling at the bottom end. People can then look and go, well, the plan is that in five years' time to do this, that and the other. And I think people would buy into it, but that information has to come with the announcement. I don't know what you lot think about it, but it can't just be a case of we've got a new owner and that's it, in my opinion. No, I would agree. I think, you know, Sunderland's fans have put up with a lot of crap for basically 10 years now, um, certainly since... Probably Martin O'Neill left is probably when this all really started going downhill. Um, we need as a as a support base to know what's happening. I don't think Sunderland fans could deal with more of this, and certainly the ramifications long term of Sunderland continuing at the say they're in League One for another three or four years is that the club as a whole becomes smaller. You're talking about less people supporting it, less people coming through going, oh, I'm going to follow my dad's footsteps and follow Sunderland. People won't be doing that. You know, I've got sort of a nephew who's kind of the same sort of thing now. He prefers watching Liverpool because going to watch Sunderland isn't interesting when you're watching MK Dons. And yeah. there's a the long-term issue with Sunderland is that the longer you spend at this level, the more you become this level, you become a League One 
or lower league football club that yo-yos between the two and and that's where you know that's why we need a clear plan you know that's why we need to know where where the fixes are that's why all the the stuff off the pitch that we've already touched on needs to be fixed and I don't think we can really accept much less of the need to give that clarity and they also need to show that they're acting on it. One of the big issues with Stuart and Charlie was the dishonesty, the continual lies. You didn't know, it was almost like Donald Trump with these fake news, you don't know when he's telling the truth and when he's not and that was kind of the problem with the owners. Come, what's happening with the parachute payments, you're getting a kind of an answer, you still don't know and even now nobody can say, I don't think they've ever said categorically what's happened with the parachute payments. And it's stuff like that that just creates seeds of doubt and it does bring the club down because it, it puts a black cloud over it because there's so many questions there because the takeover process wasn't clear. They fundamentally lied about things and the new owners can't do that. There has to be actual transparency, not the fake transparency we had last under Stuart and Charlie. It needs to be real transparency. And I'm not talking about doing hour-long podcasts, you know, like what Stuart and Charlie did. I just mean keeping fans up to date you know when you come in put a statement out let us know the progress let us know when you brought in scouts recruitment keep us just in the loop of what's happening you know mm-hmm. that that's what Sunderland fans I think I think every football fan sort of craves that that's what you want you just want to know that your club's in good hands and that even if you lose against MK Dons you know yes it, it, it's a, a disaster but it's it's not going to affect the long-term plan and at the minute Sunderland's in a position where every five games determines what the future of the club is if Sunderland win the next five games, ownership will think, oh, that's great, we're going to get promoted. If Sunderland lose the next five games, it's a disaster, we're going to finish in mid-table. You want to be in a position as a fan and as a club whereby results almost, obviously they're important, but they don't affect the plan. Yeah. And we, we haven't had that for forever, really. Sunderland's been a results-driven business. And I know football is results-driven, but what I mean by that is it's been a, a business... Our plan is di- dictated by what happens on a Saturday. Yeah, it's like day-to-day, day isn't it? Rather exactly, than and Sunderland needs to be a far... Every football club, really, but Sunderland in particular, it needs to be far greater than just worrying about whether or not you're going to be MK Dons on a Saturday afternoon. Because mm. if you think like that, you're never going to get anywhere. Mm. Sam, you got something to say there? Conan makes a good point, and I think everything he's supposed to be saying about long-term and this, like telling the fans this is how we're here and this is what we're going to do... I think that's really important, but even taking a step back from the business side of things, I think on a personal level, if what we're reading is true and Stuart Donald and Charlie are staying as part of the club, this might be a bad PR move, whatever, I don't know too much about, but I think they need to come out and hold their hands up and say, look, we're staying, we've made mistakes, but we're staying and we're going to learn from the mistakes and we're going to actually help the new owners and we're, and we're going to learn yeah. from it because I, I, I don't think they'll win round a lot of the fans and that's fine, but would we want another sort of Parkinson situation where you're like, well, I don't really want this, but I'm going to see how it goes because then the moment things go badly, it's it's just a disaster. So mm. I don't know if that would ever happen, but from my point of view, I'd like to see them just hold their hands up and say, we had good intentions, we made mistakes and we're learning from them and we're going yeah. to advise the new people who come in because I think then you'd have some fans saying, right, fair enough. I think you I think you made a good point there. Like I think they do. They don't have to do it. They don't have to do anything. But what, what they would benefit from greatly is if they came out and held their hands up. Um, depending on how involved they're going to be, I don't know. could just be a case of they're going to sit in the background and wait to pick up a cheque down the line, maybe, if this is a success and the club goes for a lot of money, they'll they'll be guaranteed a portion of that, maybe, or whatever. It might just be the case that they're going to hover in the background. But if they're not, they need to come out and hold their hands up and say, all right, we've got some stuff wrong. We're aware that the trust between the fans and ourselves may be broken down, but we'd like to try and prove ourselves to you and show you that this plan for the future is a good one for Sunderland and 
this isn't about just trying to make a quick book out of the club. It's about trying to build something here. Look, we'll get on to this now, I guess. The, the, this this potential new owner, I don't know how you say his name, Kirill, Kyril, uh, Louis Dreyfus. He's a young man. Some people say he's 26, some say 22. I don't have a clue what his actual age is, but he's young, put it that way. When you saw he was in, involved, Connor, when you saw that this was the man they were trying to sell the club to and what have you, what did you think? What did you think when you saw that a, a guy in his 20s was buying Sunderland, a billionaire in his 20s? Um, To be honest, I, I mean, I don't know the bloke. You know, I can't really comment. And so has he been involved with Marseille in the past? Or yeah, so do, I don't know if maybe this might be beneficial to people listening, but his dad was the owner of Marseille and his dad died suddenly. And he and his siblings and his mum, I guess, assumed control of his shares in the club. And I think the, I think the family still retain like a 5% share of Marseille, but... Uh, yeah, he was involved sort of in that sense, but he's yeah he's only young, but he has been yeah. around football management before. I just think to be honest, it's not even the person involved, and I can't. I've I've jumped on the this is good news because we need an ownership change, but you know we don't know yet the intentions. You know I think there's plenty of rumor speculation about what's going to happen with it. Is Juan Satori going to be heavily involved? Is he not? Um, will they change the manager? Will they not? And I suppose it it's pointless as a Sunderland fan. As, as easy as it is to get excited and think this is the best thing and the best news, the reality is, is while Stuart and Charlie hold, you know, a significant percentage, whether they're involved or not, that that weighs on me because I just think that these new owners will be tainted by that. You know, we, mm. we've had significant issues with the current ownership and if they are involved in any way, then that would raise questions with me and that means it'll raise questions with pretty much every Sunderland fan, probably used to as well. So I'm a little bit sort of worried about that and whether or not Stuart and Charlie are keeping their stake just so they can sell it for more money when we reach the Champions League in five years' time. <laughs> Maybe that's the case, but that that concerns me. But I do think change is needed and if this is the only option we have at the minute and then, you know, a lot of me just says, yeah, we have to go for it. Hopefully there's a, a plan, you know, they need yeah. to implement the things that Stuart and Charlie were meant to implement back in the day, essentially. That's basically what we've yeah. been talking about here. Yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, Sam, but I can probably stomach all of that if it means a billionaire's about to buy a share in the club. Oh, yeah. But the same yeah. billionaire that owns we're now. Like, Juan Satori's a billionaire. Well, that's yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> but my, my point is is that if... We, we need to say the plan, really. Why is why is a 22-year-old buying Sunderland? If it's just because he wants a new toy then he's going to find out very quickly that that's not how things work around here. Like, you'll, you'll not last two minutes. I think you're right, and I think transparency is the key, but it's it's how to do that, because obviously we all know that Stuart and Charlie try to be completely honest with fans and then ended up coming out with statements like 100 points, this and that. So you need to learn from their mistakes. And I, th- I think, I know we keep banging on about it, but we just need, we need them to be honest with us about what's happening, when and if new owners come in and what the plan is without revealing too much because although we'd all like to read an article that says we're going to do this and that in five years time we're going to be here uh, personally I would much rather be under promised things and then over succeed than shooting for the stars and we all have this in our mind and then we're still in league one yeah. in two years time so no, I, I think that. I know I said it earlier but even if like you say under the new owners it's going to be a case of Stuart and Charlie it just in the background and not involved in the club I still think it would be beneficial for people reading that they've still got a percentage of the club to know that they're going to if if this new young lad needs some advice they're going to learn from the mistakes and tell them who to appoint they're going to put people in place that are going to help them and stuff like that so to be honest I would hope they would have all this in place when when the ownership change comes like particularly the structural stuff 
I think on a footballing side particularly, and we've seen, this is something else I wanted to talk about, but on Saturday it was in L'Equipe, the French newspaper, that they were um, in the process of interviewing candidates for the sporting director role, which tells me that structural change is coming. You don't, yeah. you know, the, 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 and, and one, it tells you structural change is coming, but two, it tells you that the line and people look for when this thing drops. Which is exactly, in my opinion, what needs to happen. It can't just be a case of, well, we've bought the club and we're going to hope to do this, that, and the other. It needs to be a case of, we've bought the club. These are the people who are now running Sunderland. These are the people who are now running the, the, the marketing side of the club, the, the business itself. This is the day to day manager, the chairman. This is the, the person in charge of the football inside the club. Um, this is the, who's going to look after recruitment and data and academy and all this. That stuff needs to be in place when this is announced, in my opinion. Um, the director of football news, Connor, when that came, was that pleasing to you? Are you, are you glad that we're going down that route? Uh, yes. Number one, I think bringing in directors of football and sporting directors uh, probably suggests to me that they wouldn't be maintaining Phil Parkinson as manager. Because I imagine a director of football coming in would want to bring in his own person. <laughs> well, if you're um interviewing five candidates like they keep have suggested, and you hired the one who wanted to keep Phil Parkinson, I know. <laughs> so that to me suggests that you know if we are in this close to a takeover happening, say we're within you know a month or two of it happening, Phil Parkinson will probably be aware. He will have seen the reports. You know, he's not an idiot. Um, he probably knows that his time's up. So I suppose that's a different debate. But the director of football is what Sunderland needs. You know, last season, what what did we have off the pitch last season? We had Richard Hill. We had Tony Colton, who was essentially our only scout. <laughs> and we had Paul Reed running the academy. And now there's nothing against them, fellas. In fact, I really, really liked Paul Reed as a guy. But to me, that, that didn't represent a all that much experience. I know Tony Colton has a lot of experience, but I don't think Richard Hill... And Paul Reed particularly did, um, certainly not at this level, and certainly not at a club like Sunderland. So if they are bringing in directors of football and sporting directors, and you know people on the business side and all that, it will only help Sunderland because they don't have. For me, last year the problem was is there wasn't enough almost you know professional opinion to certainly assist when Jack Ross was here. You know Jack Ross was left by himself. There was nobody mm-hmm. else for him to lean on. There's nobody at the club day to day for him to lean on. All them things are important, and it's felt at all areas. You know Tony Davidson left last season in what October maybe mm. October November something like that the club didn't replace him until the summer them sort of issues though really really affect every aspect of the club because you, you don't oh, have yeah. anyone to go to with a a, a decision you know how, mm. if you can't get in touch with Stuart Donald how do you purchase a player because there's only one person who can okay it and it's, it's him if you don't have anybody running it day to day it's very old fashioned isn't it yeah fundamentally then the, the idea of bringing a director of football is good. Sunderland fans, yes, we've had a bad experience with it with Defanti and Congerton. You know, they weren't exactly the best, but I think they were doomed anyway because of the whole structure of the club. Yeah. Coming in at this point now, we're at point zero. You know, it's mm. essentially the foundation's not even there at the minute. You know, we're talking about very, very minimal infrastructure at the football club. You've got a chance to really build something and getting these appointments of sporting directors and technical directors and, you know, directors of football, whatever they are, these are absolutely vital because this shapes where the club's going to be for the next five years or so. Yeah. I mean, this is more important than any managerial appointment, more important than any signing. To be honest, it's more important than even the ownership itself because this shapes exactly where Sunderland Football Club's going to go on the pitch. And if, if they bring in a director of football who, say, wants to be a wheeler dealer who brings in Aidan O'Brien on a free transfer, that that's not going to work. And Danny mm-hmm. Graham, th- them sort of signings aren't going to work for Sunderland. We need somebody who's a bit more forward-thinking, who's willing to take a risk, think a bit outside the box, 
you know, I'm not a one who's going to sign players based on age, but I wouldn't mind a recruitment policy whereby we don't buy players, say, over the age of 25, because yeah. you know that it's resale value. And setting back to that thing I said at the start, something needs to become a selling club, become a club that produces and sells players. And that's how you get to the Premier League. That is how you then, when you get there, sustain yourself because you're mm-hmm. a conveyor belt that continually makes money, which means that when you do get, say, in the Premier League, you can keep some of them really good players or you sell them and then you reinvest and it keeps going. It's a big domino. So th- th- this appointment of a director of football is massive. It is the biggest thing that the new owners do when they yeah. come in here. Before we round off then, I want to quickly touch on this, but um, is there anybody on, on your the tip of your tongue, Sam, that you would, if Parkinson went, if the owners um, do change and the ownership of the club changes hands, is there somebody you'd have in mind? I'm, I know that you don't want Parkinson any longer, but... What what sort of manager? What sort of manager? I guess we've already touched on, but is there anybody on the tip of your tongue? I'm sort of in the camp now, which might be the wrong stance. Is just get Parkinson out because I think pretty much anyone could do a better job. But um, I didn't like we touched on earlier. Um, I I said that I'd like someone who the fans know or sort of know, and I think it's I wouldn't be necessarily against someone who's done it at League One level, but I think that's exactly the route that went down with Parkinson. So I just. I just hope it's someone a bit more exciting who we've known he's done stuff in the past. Maybe someone who's going to come down a few levels, but no one really stands out. I know Paul Year's been mentioned and he would be very exciting. Uh, I know Cook's uh, mentioned, people like that. But See, sorry to butt in, but Paul Cook, I've seen a lot of people talk about Paul Cook and to me. He's the, he's the antithesis of what we're trying to achieve here. Like We need some, if we're, if we're talking about having a... a Bringing basically dragging Sunderland in the twenty first century. Paul Reed's a, a Paul Reed, sorry. Paul Cook is more like a, a Peter Reed, isn't he? Really, like a, an old yeah. fashioned type manager. Um, done very well in League One. Don't get us wrong, but like I say, we, we need to be looking longer term than that. And I'm I'm a little bit disappointed that as a fan base, maybe we're not looking, we're not broadening our horizons a little bit. I think Paul Cook is just the obvious name to say. Him or Super Kev, they're, they're the two where people go, oh, give it to Super Kev, give it to Paul, Paul Cook, because they're just obvious choices, aren't they? Yeah, I'd agree with that. You need to look. You need someone who's going to be a bit more exciting. We've been down the same route for God knows how many years now. You just we need a change, really, don't we? We're sort of mm. we're crying out for something different now. I, th- I think that's it, isn't it? Like kind of we're talking about who the next manager. We we spent a fair portion of this show talking about who the next son and manager should be or what they should look like. When we've still actually got a manager, let's lay it out. We're told in various press reports this could be done within a matter of weeks. This ownership change, if all goes to plan, right? So do you do it before that? Bear in mind that the rumours suggest Satori, Donald, Methan are going nowhere, really. So it's within their best interests if the if a change is needed to do it, right? So do we do it now? Do we wait until the ownership change and announce it then? How much longer do we give Partington? I I don't think. You can you can do it now because if we're talking about directors of football coming in, then surely the director of football needs to make that decision. That would or at least have a say, in. or at least have a say in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're gonna bring in a director of football, to me, the director of football needs to make them decisions. And this is kind of the whole. This is the structure of the club. You know, if you are going to put people in charge of the business and of the football side and of recruitment, then people need to have the ultimate final say. Otherwise, yeah. it is almost pointless having them. So. I would like to think that whoever this new director of football would be would be the one making the decision to sack Phil Parkinson. So I don't think the decision can come to sack him. Um, 
while this takeover process is going on because yeah. the ultimately if you sack Phil Parkinson right now, then you are going to have Steve Parkin managing something. <laughs> that, that's the reality. And what is the point of doing that? There is no point of doing that. So mm. I, I wouldn't see them making that decision until this process is either finished or not happened. Yeah, guess we'll leave it on that then. Time will tell. I'm sure I'm sure this is just stuff that's came over the weekend. By the time we all get our heads together next, there'll be more details out there. But ultimately, Sunderland are heading in a different direction right now. We're, it appears anyways. Hopefully that means with a new owner. What's the phrase? A clean brush sweeps clean. Hopefully that's the case with Sunderland. Like, we're going to see changes made that can not only kick us up the arse and get us out of this league, but really turn us into a club for the future because that's, importantly for me, that's the main thing. Thankfully, we haven't went full gung-ho like what you guys did last year when I wasn't here. Really. <laughs> yeah. This takeover has yeah. happened. It's so, happened. Yeah. reminders of that. I was on that show, I think. I remember in the car driving away, thinking like, "Oh bloody hell! There must be some insider knowledge here. Like, this is this is happening." And then obviously it didn't, and I was like, <laughs> "Excited." But, yeah, never yeah, mind. We've not went that strong. I don't think we've said a hundred percent it's going through. So well, it it's just good. it just I don't know what what we've heard a few times under these owners that an ownership change is coming, and this time just feels like it's right and it's happening, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like there's anything stopping this from happening. But it's Sunland. <laughs> it's Sunland, and I'm sure yeah, that's, that's I'm sure if anything's going to happen, yeah, I'm sure if anything's going to happen, it will happen. So, yeah, hopefully next time you listen to the Roper Report podcast, some more interesting developments will have taken place. But I'm not promising them. Not like Connor. Catch you later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 